You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Hey, Midtown family. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Michael Bailey, and I am one of the pastors at our Lexington Church, and I am so excited to get to be with you guys this morning. I want to say a happy Easter to you on this slightly different Easter Sunday that we find ourselves in, where uh, I am coming to you through the internet, and instead of us all being decked out here in our pastels together, you are most likely at home uh, eating your Cheerios and sitting in your PJs. And I know that there are a lot of things that we were looking forward to about this Easter Sunday. I know many of us were excited about Easter egg hunts and getting to dust off our Easter suits and our Easter dresses and getting the chance to share with friends and family in the truly holy Easter meal, brunch. And this Easter is just not what you intended it to be. This is not the Easter you had planned for yourself. And truth be told, this is not the way that we as a church prefer to spend Easter either. We want to throw parties and baptize new believers and sing songs loudly about what Jesus has done for us on this day. The truth is, is that this Easter for all of us in some respects is something of an unexpected Sunday. And what I want to remind us of this morning is that the first Easter was actually an unexpected Sunday too. And I think that if we can meditate on that thought together this morning, we might actually find ourselves with some unexpected joy today as well. And so for the next few minutes, what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to look together at Luke chapter 24. We'll be in the first six verses. This is what they say. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While perplexed about this, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. At the center of Christianity is not some new moral code or a new perspective on life, but at the center of Christianity is really the story of three days, a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday. A Friday when all of the sin and darkness of the earth did their absolute worst to Jesus on the cross. A Saturday of silence and waiting and nothing that leads to a third day, a Sunday with an empty tomb. An empty tomb that proclaims the defeat of sin and darkness forever. An empty tomb that literally changes everything. And this three-day pattern of deliverance and salvation, it's actually all over the place in the Bible. In Genesis 42, Joseph's brothers get put in prison and are released on the third day. In Joshua 2, the Israelite spies are told by Rahab to hide from their enemies until they will be safe on the third day. When Abraham is afraid that he's gonna have to sacrifice his son Isaac, it's on the third day that he sees the substitute that God provided to save his son. And there are tons more, but over and over and over again, we see this pattern. The pattern goes, day one, there's trouble. Day two, there's silence. Day three, God delivers. When Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 15 about Christ being raised on the third day according to the scriptures, this is part of what he's referencing, of God's pattern of bringing rescue on the third day. The problem, though, is that when you're on day one or day two of a three-day story, you don't often know that day three is coming, 
because it hasn't happened yet. So you get the pain and the trouble of Friday or day one. You get the silence and uncertainty of day two or Saturday, but you don't have the deliverance of day three yet. And for these women here in Luke, this is where they are. They don't know that day three is coming. You see, you and I, we have the privilege of knowing the end of the story already. We know what's coming, but these early disciples did not. And what I, what I wanna do this morning is I wanna invite us to imagine that we are there, to imagine that we are them in their shoes for just a moment, to consider what it would have been like to be there and be them on this day. So these female disciples are taking the spices to the tomb to anoint Jesus's body. This was a ritual done for the dead. You see, they're going to the tomb with the expectation that Jesus is still dead. They merely want to do their part to honor and care for the body. These are people who are still grieving, people who are still mourning what has just taken place. On Friday, their world crashed and burned before their very eyes. This Jesus, whom they had given everything to follow, this Jesus, whom they entrusted with their lives, this Jesus that they believed was the Messiah, the one true king of the world who came to deliver God's forever kingdom and his restorative reign on planet earth was brutally executed before their very eyes. And then there's Saturday. There's so much written and studied and talked about when it comes to Friday and Sunday, and for good reason. You know, those are the two most important days in human history. On Friday, our sins were paid for on the cross, and on Sunday, our hope is brought to life. But what happens on Saturday? What happens on Saturday? Literally nothing happens on Saturday. Even in the text, all we get is verse 56 of chapter 23 that says, on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Do you ever think about that Saturday? Do you ever think about what that day must have been like? It's likely that the disciples wake up from having not really slept for the past two days. They wake up filled with all sorts of emotions racing through their minds and their hearts, despair, sorrow, fear, anger at the injustice of it all. They wake up to the city that just the day before was screaming for Jesus's death to silence. The crowd is gone, the furor is over, and their Jesus is still dead. They thought they were gonna change the world, but they didn't. Maybe they talked about what went wrong, how unfairly this whole thing went down. Maybe, and no one wants to think this or say this, but, but maybe they're thinking that Jesus failed that he didn't come through when they thought he would, that he didn't do what they thought he was going to do. He didn't gain enough followers. He didn't win over the chief priests. He didn't overthrow Rome. He didn't get enough ordinary people to understand his message and stand behind him. He didn't even train his disciples to show bravery in the moment of crisis. And worst of all, he was executed in an embarrassing fashion on the cross. Like what kind of king would do that? Maybe they, and I think this is likely, maybe they feel a sense of guilt. If we had just done this, or man, if we had just not done that, if we could have, if we could have just stayed awake, isn't that what he wanted? Didn't he want us to stay awake while he prayed? If we could have just stayed awake, maybe, maybe this is a little bit our fault. I imagine Peter thinking, I denied him. Three times. I denied him. 
how could I do that? What have I done? Maybe they wake up and it's just simply confusion and uncertainty where they think, what now? What, what are we going to do now? Where do we go from here? We gave up everything to follow Jesus and everything from here on out is gonna be different. It's not gonna be the same. Things won't ever be the way they were. What are we gonna do? My guess is I don't have to try very hard to get you to connect with that idea right now. I think our present circumstances have probably pushed a lot of similar thoughts to our own minds. This Easter is a reminder that things are different for us, that life has changed and we don't know what's coming and we long for things to not be the way they are. Many of us might find ourselves asking questions like, how long is this gonna last? When will this be over? Will God come through? Will things ever get better? But I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't need a pandemic to get me to feel this, right? It certainly highlighted it, but for many of us, I know we were already walking through the pain of the second day before this. We were already walking through life with pain and confusion, grief and heartache, asking and wondering questions like, why has my life not turned out the way that I hoped it would? When will things get better? Am I always gonna be this way? Will I ever not carry this weight that I'm carrying? Can anything save me from this mess that I have made for myself? Where's God in this pain? What is he doing? How long will this last? Like we said earlier, the problem is when you're in the middle of a three-day story, you don't know that day three is coming. When you're in the middle of a three-day story, you're wondering where God is. You're wondering what is gonna happen, wondering if this will ever change or will this just be our new normal? And if we're not careful, we can let the events in the middle of a three-day story become our whole story. People in the early church actually took, the, took this route. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? In other words, there were some in this early Jesus movement that said, you know what, death is the end. There is no hope, there is no life after this. Just get used to it and don't be disappointed. And that's the route that some people take where we think, man, you know, this is, this is just all there is. This, is. this is all there is and so I'm just gonna give up. I'm just gonna quit. Or at best, I'll just grin and bear it, as, bear it as it slowly eats away at me on the inside. And some of you may be really close to that for whatever reason right now. Many of us are like the women approaching the tomb, carrying our spices because we expect to find the dead. But the good news for them and the good news for us is that death is not what they found. It reads, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. He is not here. He has risen. They come to the tomb expecting to find death, but death is not there. 
They come to the tomb expecting to find that their darkest days are still dark. They come to the tomb expecting to find that while, yes, the date on the calendar might have changed, their experience is still the metaphorical Saturday, a very, very long Saturday. But what they find when they get there isn't Saturday. What they find when they get there is day three. It's Sunday. And Sunday changes everything. Because on Sunday, everything they came to the grave, grave fearing, dreading, and expecting got 110% turned on its head. Sunday was a day of such unexpected, death-defying, grave-defeating, fear-destroying, joy-producing, life-giving, transcendent hope that their world and our world still has not gotten over it. Pentecostals are still shouting about it. Charismatics are still dancing about it. Baptists are still amen in it. And Presbyterians are still studying it, and you are there in your living room in the wee hours of a Sunday morning with your coffee and your Cheerios and whatever else, because on Sunday, death did not win. And what I want you to hear me say to you this morning is that as you sit here and that light is starting to crack through your window pane, is that Sunday is coming for you too. As Paul writes in response to those denying the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If you're unfamiliar, a first fruit is an agricultural concept. It's the first yield of whatever you're growing. So that first apple taken from the tree or that first cluster of grapes from the vineyard. It's the first of many more to come. And Paul is saying that Christ's resurrection is the first of many, many more to come. You see, the Christian hope is not simply that we're going to escape a world that is getting progressively worse and worse by the day. Nor is it merely that we believe that the world is somehow, some way on its own going to get better and better. But that God is going to do for the whole cosmos what he did for Jesus on Easter morning. You see, Easter, you see, the Easter story isn't just the fact that Sunday came for Jesus and his early disciples, but that Sunday is coming for you and I and the rest of creation as well. Easter is about first fruits. It's always a celebration of a snippet of a bigger celebration to come. It's a placeholder that points us toward what lies ahead. So yes, what we're doing this Easter is certainly unexpected. It's not what many of us want scattered in our homes and sitting in the quiet, but that's kind of the point. All of these Easter's, even the ones with the loud music and the baptisms and the blessed brunch are all just shadows of the Easter that is coming. The one in which the scriptures say every tear will be wiped away and death itself will be no more. Our present circumstances well, that's just Saturday. Our present circumstances, whatever they may be, well, that's just the proverbial Saturday. But listen, I'll tell you a secret about Saturday. You can be with God on Saturday in ways that you can't any other day of the week. Because on Saturday, he's all you've got. Like the disciples on the Sabbath, a day when they had to let go and let God. Saturday is a day where you're at the end of your rope. 
You've done all you know to do. You've put in every amount of work and taken every appropriate precaution and consideration. And all you've got left to hope for is that God is going to step in and do something. And for you, and whatever your Saturday might be today, you can have hope. Because unlike those who have gone before us, we know that the greater Sunday is coming. The greater Sunday is coming. And that means all kinds of good things for you. It means guilt will not have the last word in your life. So you've made a lot of mistakes. And you think if we knew them all, we wouldn't want you around. Maybe you've done that thing that you swore you were never, ever going to do again. That thing that you promised God you wouldn't fall back into. What this tells us is that, look, Jesus has paid the debt of your sin on the cross so that there is no more condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. And his resurrection this Sunday is a reminder to you that it is a sign and a seal that the deal is done. You are forgiven completely. Guilt will not have the last word because the tomb is empty and Sunday is coming. Injustice will not have the last word. Yes, we live in a world that is unfair. We live in a world where unfair things happen. They even happened to God himself. But the resurrection shows us that God is going to write every single wrong and restore a thousand times more than whatever we've lost and even redeem those bad things for our joy. If God can take murder and turn it into salvation, imagine what he can do with anything else. Injustice won't have the last word because the tomb is empty and Sunday is coming. Addiction will not have the last word. Maybe you don't just feel guilt over your sin, but you feel enslaved to it, like you just can't escape it. The resurrection tells us that God has released a power onto earth that has overcome and defeated all the power of sin and death. And it might not be a quick and easy process, and you might struggle every single day of your life, but, the, but Sunday is a promise that the ultimate healing is coming for you. And that can give you motivation to get up out of bed tomorrow and keep fighting and keep pressing forward because addiction won't have the last word because the tomb is empty and Sunday is coming. Sorrow, despair, anxiety, depression will not be the last word in your life. Though this word is what, is what we call a veil of tears where everything we watch, everyone we love, everything we love eventually falls apart and dies. Our families, our bodies Maybe you've experienced the death of a loved one or the loss of a child. Maybe you've watched someone with Alzheimer's in their last terrible days. Maybe your life has just been one curveball and one obstacle and one pain to the next, to the next, to the next. What the resurrection shows you is that pain is not the last word. Jesus will have the last word. And you are going to a place where God wipes away every tear, where he binds up every wound and he restores what is broken. Another way to say it would be that as long as Jesus is alive, there is hope for you. If you're not dead, God is not done. Sorrow and despair will not have the last word because the tomb is empty and Sunday is coming. Even death itself will not have the last word. As Billy Graham once said, one day you will hear that Billy Graham is dead, but don't you believe it. I will be more alive than ever. I will have just changed addresses. 
And that is true for each and every one of you who are in Christ because the tomb is empty and Sunday is coming and it's coming for you too. And all that other stuff, well, that's just Saturday. That's just Saturday. And so in just a moment, I want you to walk outside and I want you to see that sun cresting over the horizon. The very same sun that was cresting when these disciples came to the tomb so many years ago. And I want you to praise and thank God that Sunday is coming because Sunday changes everything. For the sun is risen. He is risen indeed.